Christmas is paganism. That's what it is. It has nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus was God in the flesh. He died to save sinners. He's born in Bethlehem in a manger. But Christmas is not the birthday of Christ. It has nothing to do with him. Christmas is the Mass. Christ Mass. I figured that out when I was 12 years old in Fort Worth, Texas, as a little boy watching the Midnight Mass on a TV that my father had bought, and I'd never seen a TV in my life. I was 12, and this was in 1951. Never seen a TV, and we watched everything. We'd watch I Love Lucy, and we'd watch Howdy Doody, and most of you don't even know what that is. That's a kid's show. And we watch wrestling matches on Tuesday night that came from the Sportatorium down in North Fort Worth. And we would watch the Midnight Mass. And I'm sitting there as a little boy saying, and I'm watching the Pope do the Mass on Christmas Eve. And I'm thinking in my little analytical mind, I didn't know I was analytical that young, but that's what I was doing. I was analyzing it. I was thinking, this is that Christ's Mass? Uh, it's Christmas Eve, and St. Nicholas is supposed to come tonight. I think that's another name for Santa Claus, and I believe that he was a Roman Catholic priest or something. Found out he was a Roman Catholic bishop of the 4th century, giving toys to children, and most, a lot of the historians believe that he was a pedophile. Now, Christmas is not the birthday of Christ. I've got... I got some tracks on Christmas over here. I read one of them. What's so bad about Christmas? And I'm going to read to you a track that I did on whose birthday is it? The subject is Christmas. Whose birthday is it? And Matthew 2, 1 through 16, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. There came wise men from the east. These were Magi, or Magos is what they were called, saying, Where is he that was born king of the Jews? Herod gathered, and the chief priests and scribes demanded of these wise men where Christ should be born. Herod inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Now, the wise men didn't get to the manger. They were 650 miles away in Babylon when Christ was born over here in Bethlehem. The star came and stood over where the young child was. When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child. Jesus was at least two years old when the wise men got there. They presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Herod slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time when they diligently inquired of the wise men. He wanted to make sure he could kill off this new king of the Jews. Because Herod was the false king. He was an Edomite king, a descendant of Esau. Then we go into the body of this. Jesus was no longer a babe in a manger when the wise men came. He was a young child, approximately two years old, living in a house, not a manger. Only the shepherds got to the manger, not the wise men. 
with his parents, all of the shepherds came to the manger, Luke 2, 8 through 16. Herod inquired of the wise men what time the star appeared. Then according to that time, he slew all the children two years old and under, so that he might be sure of slaying the young child, Jesus, who was going to be king. These were not birth or birthday gifts which the wise men brought. They were gifts of worship to to a righteous king. Gold signifies purity throughout the scripture. Frankincense was a sweet fragrance offered in the sanctuary with burnt offerings in in Exodus 30 and and 34 and Leviticus 2 and 1 and 16 and as an emblem of prayer in Psalms 141 and 2. It represented the divine name, which means authority, of God, Malachi 1.11. Myrrh was used to embalm the dead, particularly the body of Christ, John 19 and 39, and it was used along with frankincense as an acceptable, sweet, savory smell. The death of Jesus is a pure sacrifice. It is a sweet smell and acceptable to the Father. Where did this picture of Mary at the manger with the babe in arms, the nativity, originate? St. Francis of Assisi, a Romanist monk, placed his manger scene, the crash, C-R-E-C-H-E, into the church. The ancient Madonna, Our Lady, the ruler, and the child was worshipped in Babylon as the mother with the babe in arms 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. This mother and babe was Venus and Cupid in Rome, Isis and Osiris in Egypt, Ray and Tammuz in Babylon. The unresurrected boy savior was called the eternal boy in pagan Rome. This is not the Jesus of the Bible who is the living God and by the the mouth of Isaiah said, My glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images in Isaiah 42 and 8. He will not share his glory with the Mary of the Bible who said of Jesus, My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. She said she needed a Savior. Mary was a sinner in need of a Savior. The babe of Christmas is unresurrected. Birthday celebrate man and our heathen in origin only two are recorded in Scripture. Pharaoh's where he hanged his butler in Genesis 40 and 20, and Herod's where John the Baptist was beheaded in Mark 6 and 28. The birth of Christ could not possibly have been in December since the shepherds did not stay in the fields through the first rains, which were in mid-October. The winters were bitter cold, Matthew 24 and 20, and were certainly no time for grazing sheep. This December the 25th was indeed far and wide known in the ancient world as the very birthday of Adonis or Mithra, the sun god of Rome and Babylon. Now, that's the truth about birthdays. I've got one here on the Mass of the Messiah. Maybe I'll read that next week. I got one on St. Nicholas. I'll tell you what, that's very interesting. And you can get all this information on St. Nicholas out of 
the McClinican strong. Let me read this to you. There is none righteous, no, not one, Romans three ten through 12. There is none that doeth good, that seeketh after God. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. That's in Romans three ten through 12. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though we are dead, yet shall he live. Mark four thirty nine. Jesus rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. Romans 2 and 4. This has to do with St. Nicholas. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Repentance, metanoia, means to a reversal or a change of mind, and God has to change our mind. Deuteronomy 18, 8 through 11. Thou shalt not learn to do the abominations of those nations, they shall be they shall not be found among you an observer of times and channers in which are charmers or consulted familiar spirits or wizards or necromancers. Necromancy means to talk to the dead. Then the body of this says Saint Nicholas was a Roman Catholic bishop of the fourth century in Asia Minor. His Dutch name was Center Klaus, where we get our pronunciation, Santa Claus. He was said to be possessed with attributes and virtues of Christ. In the Cyclopedia of Biblical, Ecclesiastical, and Theological Literature by John McClinic and James Strong, the following myth was told in fact. The day of his birth, St. Nicholas, the child, rose in his bath, joined his hands and praised God, and from that same day would only take the breast on Wednesday and Friday, thus knowing how to fast from the time he knew hunger. What a bunch of baloney. He was said to have been born without a sinful nature like Jesus. The scripture says, There is none good but God. John nineteen seventeen, Jesus is God in the flesh. St. Nicholas took a sea voyage to Palestine. When a storm arose, a sailor said to have fallen overboard, whereupon St. Nicholas rescued him, restoring his life after death. That's resurrection that only belongs to Jesus. Only Jesus possesses this power of resurrection. St. Nicholas then called on the storm and it ceased that's why I read that about Jesus set up the boat and told the storm shh be quiet St. Nicholas said to be able to calm storms it is Jesus who rebuked the wind and the sea and there was a great calm there was a great calm Matthew eight twenty six. it was said that he appeared to Emperor Constantine that St. Nicholas appeared to Constantine in a dream and caused and caused him to change his mind, causing repentance concerning the execution of two men who prayed to him for deliverance. They prayed to St. Nicholas, and St. Nicholas went to the mind of Constantine and called him to change his mind about executing these men. You believe that? That's who Santa Claus is. Only God works in men's hearts causing repentance in 2 Corinthians 7.10, 2 Timothy 2 and 25. When men would pray to Jesus, it was said that St. Nicholas answered their prayers, thus possessing 
all the powers of the living God. St. Nicholas's omnipotent, unlimited power of our authority. He was omnipresent. He was everywhere at one time and omniscient, knowing all things. That's why he knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That's where that comes from. He was the ultimate judge of good and bad children, giving sweets to the good and switches to the bad. Only God knows the heart. We are not to judge the outward appearance, but we are to declare righteous judgment. John seven twenty four, Leviticus nineteen fifteen, First Samuel sixteen and seven, which is the word of God. We teach our children to talk to the dead necromancy. We teach him to the talk to the dead, asking this dead Romanist bishop who answers the prayers of the saints for material things to distribute fortunes to them. We tell them that if they are good, which is impossible outside of Jesus Christ, then they will receive the lust, the desires of their flesh, the materialism of Babylon. We're teaching our children covetousness, which means to want more, which is idolatry, Ephesians 5, 5, Colossians 3, 5. The word devil is the Greek word daemon or daemonion, meaning to distribute fortunes. Satan told Jesus, worship me and I'll give you the fortunes of the world. We're teaching our children to seek a devil, a demon in Santa Claus who will distribute fortunes to them. St. Nicholas is a lie that is merely the beginning of the corruption of our children. Every good and perfect gift is spiritual and comes from God, James 1.17. Now, boy, that's hard hitting, isn't it? I put this in a paper and the paper called me and said, you're calling Santa Claus a demon. We can't put that in there without putting a disclaimer on it. I said, put the disclaimer. I love disclaimers. Say, this is not the opinion of the newspaper. And that's what they did. That'll be enough reading. Boy, I love that on Santa Claus. It's just corruption. St. Nicholas was a Roman Catholic priest that gave gifts to children. Probably, like they say, a pedophile. All right. Let me get on with this. All right. Now, what has happened? The Roman Catholics have moved the Passover back to December. The Passover... Yeah. Hold on. Get me another pen. The Passover is in Nisan. Nisan. That's our month, March, April. That's the first month of their ecclesiastical year. E-C-C-L-I-A-S-T-I-C-A-L. That went for seven months. And that went up to Tishri, which is the seventh month. That is the time period. That's the Tishri is September, October. And that's the months from March 
to the end of October, that's the month of crops in summer anywhere in the world. It's the month of crops. It's the spring and the summer and the beginning of fall. That's where the sun is shining right there. Well, they took this Nisan. Nisan 14 is Passover. Their calendar does not exactly align with ours. That's why you got March, April. They got a 360-day calendar in Israel. That's the Jewish calendar. We got 365.4379682. And that goes on for a long time. But what they've done is they, Roman Catholicism, has moved Passover back to the Feast of Saturn. in December, particularly December the 17th through the 24th, which was called the Feast of Saturn. They moved this back over here to December, and particularly the 25th, the birthday of Mithra, the sun god. And uh, they moved it back there and renamed They've amalgamated Passover with the Feast of Saturn and renamed it Christ Mass. That's what they've done. And the and the Baptists have renamed the Passover. The Baptists and the Charismatics and all of the all of the Protestants in America. Protestants have renamed it Crackers and Grape Juice. Crackers and Grape Juice. And they re- and they renamed it Communion. And Passover has been here, been here since Exodus, the 12th chapter. Now they had a Passover all through the Old Testament. They had a Passover from Exodus 12 until the time of Jesus' death. Till his death. And then when he died, the law, including the Passover, they had three particular days that were holy. They had Passover, Passover, and then 50 days later, they had Pentecost. And then in the seventh month, down here, they had, at the end of the harvest, they had the Feast of Ingathering. Feast of Ingathering. And that had several titles. They, it was called Feast of Huts. Huts and Feast of Tabernacles. They're all the same thing. And that was in the seventh month. 
Feast of Tabernacles, and coupled with this was was Tishri on the the tenth day of the seventh month, Tishri ten, they had the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement on Tishri ten. So what how did they happen to move this back here? What the Roman Catholics did, they took some verses out of the Bible over in John, the 6th chapter. Let's go over there to John, the 6th chapter, and see what they did. And they will even tell you. I've got a copy of Catechism of the Catholic Church. Catechism means teaching and instructions. And they'll tell you in this catechism that the Mass was actually the Passover, and the ba- they knew the truth about that. And the Baptists don't even know that, that the, that the, actually the communion wasn't communion, it was the Passover. Let, let's look at something here, and I'll show you exactly what it's talking about. When I say they've switched it all around, the Baptists have simply called it communion, communion and so if the church of christ says if you don't protect communion in a church of christ church church of christ a church of christ church if you don't take communion in there then you're going to die and go to hell but you have to also be dipped in water dipped in water and baptized in water by church christ preacher or you're going to hell the Church of Christ believes they're the only people that's going to heaven. And I don't believe with their doctrine they're going. Now that was not communion. It wasn't crackers and grape juice. And it was not the Mass. The Mass is eating human flesh. The Mass is when these when the Roman Catholics raise the Eucharist up in the air and they utter the words, Hoc est. Hoc est. Corpus Eum Philae. That's the words the priest will utter. You can see the word corpus. That's the word corpse. And they say that they are resurrecting Christ and that they're turning this cracker into, it's just a, they call it a Eucharist. Eucharist comes from the word A-U- C-H-A-R-I-S-T. Eucharist comes from Eucharistia, E-U-C-H-A-R-I-S-T-I-A. Eucharistia is the word thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And it comes from you and charis. It means well, grace. Well, they say that Eucharist, that cracker, contains the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It was a bloodless sacrifice. Here's where the Catholics come up with it. Go over here, and they don't even know what this is about. In John 6, John 6, John the 6th chapter and you have to understand what this is talking about. It's not talking about what people think it's talking about. 
This is the Passover is what it is. He's talking about the Passover and what they've done, they've taken the Passover and when Jesus would say, this bread is my body. I don't know if I'm the only person that ever thought uh, what is the body of Christ? I don't know if anybody's ever thought about looking at the word is, esteem. It means to mean. Or it represents. This bread represents my body. How many bodies are there? According to Ephesians 4 and 5, there is one body. And according to according to Colossians 1 18 and 24, the body is the church. So when the when Jesus said, "Take, eat, eat, fago," we used to have a restaurant down here called Fagos. It means it's a Greek word means eat. Take, eat. This is my body. He's saying somehow you've got to eat the body of Christ, but it's not the Roman Catholic eating and putting into your mouth. There's two. There's two sets of verses here I want you to look at with me. This one here in John 6, where Jesus says, He says here, well, let's read some of this. Let's back up here to, to verse 48. I am the bread of life. Now, Jesus says He is the bread. I am am the bread I am the bread your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead this is the bread which cometh down from heaven speaking of himself he's the bread that comes down from heaven that uh, that a man may eat thereof and not die. He's not talking about the manna. He's talking about himself. You can eat of the bread. I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, which is me, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh. So let's put that up there. The bread is the flesh. Bread is Christ and the bread is the flesh. We've got to keep up with this. The bread's the flesh. Now let's continue reading. So he says, 
And if any man, he says, and if any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And the Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? How can he do that? Can we go over there and take a bite of him? No. Then Jesus said, Verily verily I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you don't have any life in you. But eat flesh and drink blood was an ancient idiom. It was an idiom that meant to partake in a slaughter. Let's keep reading. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood. Now, the Roman Catholics say in the Mass, when you eat of that cracker or that Eucharist that they call it, they say the very presence of Christ is in that Eucharist. They say the body and the blood of Christ is incorporated in that Eucharist. That was a bloodless altar. They didn't have blood involved in it. And hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 55 is as important a verse in this as you can find, because it tells you what the flesh of Christ is. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. When he says, for my flesh is meat indeed, he says, my flesh, my flesh equals indeed. It's meat that is indeed. And he says, my blood equals indeed. Now, that's not exactly what it says. In the original text, what it says, it says, the flesh, or it says, hey, flesh, S, 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 A, R, X S A R X the the is feminine gender flesh is feminine gender so he says the feminine flesh of me is indeed indeed is the word alathes alathes and alethes is the word of truth. Of truth. Now he says that the flesh over in in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. He said we go through the veil. We go into a new and living way through the veil. It's this is the temple of the New Testament which temple you are, and you've got a Ark of the Covenant, you've got an altar of incense, you've got seven candlesticks, 
and you have the table of showbread, and you have the altar, the brazen altar, and the brazen sea, which used to be a labor because the priests multiplied so much they had to build this sea that was 2,000 baths. Let me see if I've got that real quick on here. All right, here's the brazen sea right there. There's the sea. Held 2,000 baths that go alter, offer their sacrifices on the altar, and then the priests would come back and wash their hands and feet, feet through these. You can see water running out here, and it, that it, there were faucets of a sort, and they would wash all over the morning before they offered sacrifice. Well, this is all... The law comes in two parts. It comes in the letter and the spirit. The Bible says that repeatedly. The letter killeth, the spirit giveth life. In Colossians 2 and 14, the Bible says that the letter was blotted out. That's the rituals of the law. So all of the Passover was blotted out Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, dogma. The rituals were blotted out. But there's two handwritings, one on tables of stone in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's on fleshy tables of our heart. And the law was kept inside the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was sprinkled. And our hearts are sprinkled, and the law is inside of our hearts. So our hearts are the Ark of the Covenant. But the heart meant the place of understanding. It didn't mean the aorta and the right ventricle and the left ventricle and the and the bicuspid valve and the tricuspid valve. It didn't mean that. I mean the place of understanding. So our understanding has the law written in our understanding. Then inside the ark was also Aaron's rod that butter, budded. We we rule with a rod, a scepter of righteousness, in Hebrews one and eight. And there was also a pot of manna, and that was the living bread that was Christ. So He's also in our heart, and we being many are one bread. We're the bread of the table of showbread, and our prayers here are the prayer are the come from the. Uh, the golden altar that's the prayers of the saints according to Revelation the fourth chapter and then the seven candlesticks is the church now all of that was blotted out in the Old Testament and that's all spiritual the candlesticks is spiritual the altar of incense is spiritual and all of this is spiritual and the Passover is now spiritual And the Roman Catholic has tried to turn this into eating literal human flesh. That's the Mass. The Mass is the focal point of Roman Catholicism. Now, let me give you some more things on this. We're in a spiritual Passover now, not Christ Mass. And it's not... I I had to preach this in this Christmas series because they've taken these they've taken the Passover and the Baptist and the Church of Christ and all the Protestants have made it communion. Communion is the word K O I N O N I A. 
when Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering there in Philippians the third chapter the suffering of Christ is our communion because fellowship is the same word as communion it's the word koinonia so our communion is fellowshipping together here and we go out and tell people the truth and we suffer for it in the world you shall have tribulation that we will suffer persecution as believers so when the Catholics turn this into the mass of December the 25th the Christ mass that's false doctrine now I want us to go over here to you have to go to the Passover to study the Passover the Passover in the New Testament is is four times excuse me five times you got Matthew 26 Mark 14 then you have you have Luke 22 and John 13 and then you have 1 Corinthians this is the one that confuses everybody 1 Corinthians the 11th chapter but in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians when the Bible is quoting from these Passover and it said red letters red letters and that means that's Jesus words that shouldn't be confusing now let's go over there to to Matthew the 26th chapter you've got to put all these things together this is actually they've taken the Passover and turned it into the mass what they've done and this leads into a thousand directions and I'm going to have to be careful that I don't get wandering off in too many directions now Matthew 26 Matthew 26 there have it's the time of the Passover not the time of crackers and grape juice in fact in chapter 26 verse 2 you know that after two days will be the feast of the Passover. So, and the two days pass, and then you get into verse 17. Now, the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we should prepare for thee to eat the Passover? They're not going to eat crackers and grape juice. And then he says in verse 18, the last sentence says, The Master saith, that he said, Go into such a city to such a man, and say, The Master saith, My time is at hand, and I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover, not crackers and grape juice. Now when the evening was come, he sat down with his twelve, and they did eat. What are they eating? The Passover. They're not eating crackers and grape juice. The Passover had four items. How the Catholics came up and did this, 
was their wild, vivid imagination. That's what it was. Had the Passover had four items. This is actually where Christmas comes from. It's a perversion of the Passover. It's it's insane what these people have done. It's insane what the Baptists and the Church of Christ and the rest of the Protestants have done. Now the Passover had four items. One, two, three, four. Had a lamb without blemish, no blemish. It had unleavened bread. For seven days. If you don't understand the spiritual Passover, you're not going to understand what they did about this Christmas thing. You had four cups of the Passover, and the third cup had a special title. It was called Cup of blessing and then you had bitter herbs and that was titled the sop that was set in the middle right in front of the people at the last Passover they were not sitting at that goofy looking table that was drawn by by Leonardo da Vinci, the homosexual artist, and they wasn't all sitting on one side of the table. That is the stupidest picture that's ever been drawn that's supposed to be a biblical picture. They're all sitting on one side of the table. That is dumb. Nobody ever did that. Now, here's here's what they were sitting at. They were at a triclinium table. In my library, I've probably got a hundred pictures of this. I've got some of them there on the wall. It was called a triclinium or a dinner bed or a dinner table. Let me find it here. All right. There at a triclinium. I really have to teach Passover at Christmas time because that's what they were doing at a triclinium. It's called a triclinium because it was tri, three-sided table. They laid down on the triclinium on their left arm, and the triclinium would be spread out like this. And the lady or the man who was serving at, and it was a triclinium because it was a feast table. They would lay down like this on their left arm, and they would reach out and they would be a bowl or something in front of them they would take their bread dip it into the sop or the bitter herbs in the middle of the table and put it to their mouth to lean upon somebody's breast the table was going up and down like so to lean upon somebody's breast meant to lean back and talk to the person behind you it didn't mean that goofy picture where Leonardo da Vinci painted John looking like a homosexual leaning his head over on his breast. That's dumb. 
That was a feast table. They were lying down eating. That's and the fact that they that John lay upon his breast meant he was leaning behind him at the Passover supper. Good grief. I just can't believe these I can't believe that I'm the only person that can study these things and know this. Now that as they were eating the Passover this goes in a hundred directions. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to send him, Lord, is it I? They're eating the Passover. And he answered, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, John says, in the sop, or in the bitter herbs, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth that is written, but woe unto that man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. And it had been good for that man if he had never been born. That's talking about Judas. I've had people say, it was Judas, a believer. Well, it better for him that he'd never been born. And God wouldn't say that about one of his elect, would he? Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And Jesus said, you said it. You're the one that thou hast said. And as they were eating the Passover, not crackers and grape juice, not the mass, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Jesus said in John 6, Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the Bible says that the flesh of Christ is the veil there in John 6, that the veil is Christ's flesh, and the flesh is the bread, and the bread is the body of Christ, and the body's the church. We have to eat of the church, but eat doesn't mean to necessarily put something in your mouth and chew it. Doesn't mean that. Let me get on with this, then I'll come back to that. And Jesus said, Take, eat, this is esteem. Esteem. This this represents... This represents my body. Or it actually means to mean. It means my body. And which body is that? How do you eat of the body of the church? How do you eat of the church? It's not hard at all if you read all the text. Let me go ahead and read the next verse. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this cup is the new blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. To drink of a cup in McClinican Strong. Here's an article on cup out of McClinican Strong. And let me read to you this. This is very important to understand what a cup meant. I'm going to read the entire article on the cup because it's extremely important. 
The word cup is used in both testaments in some curious metaphorical phrases, such as the cup of salvation in Psalms 116.13. And then such are the cup of salvation in Psalms uh, Psalms 116.13. And then a cup of wine lifted in thanksgiving to God in Matthew 26.27 that it alludes to the Paschal libation. Paschal is Passover. He's saying that's pointing to the Passover. Libation was a cup of drink of some kind. That's what a libation was. Cannot be proved that it was understood by the Jews to be expressive of gratitude. Then it talks about a cup of salvation. And in Jeremiah 16 and 7, cup of consolation. 1 Corinthians 10.16, we find the well-known expression, cup of blessing. Cup of blessing was a term for the third cup of the Passover. When you look at, I've, if you've got a one of the best writers in the world on the Passover was Alfred Edersheim. He's got a book called The Temple, Its Ministry and Services. And I took this article out of that temple as ministers and services. Mr. Edersheim was a Jew. He converted to Christianity. He was born in 1825 and died in 1889. He kept a lot of the culture and the customs and the idioms of the Jews. He reveals it to you in his four books, Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, The Temple as Ministry and Services, Sketches of the Jewish Social Life, and The History of Israel gives you unbelievable amount of customs and culture he tells you here the third cup this is in the passover section of his book the temple is ministry and services and at the top of one section it says the third cup then he says immediately afterwards the third cup was drunk a special blessing had been spoken over it there therefore be any reasonable doubt that this was the cup which the Lord connected with his own supper. It is called in Jewish writing, just as St. Paul, 1 Corinthians ten sixteen, the cup of blessing, partly because it was partly because it was followed by grace after mate. And then if we look over there in First Corinthians, I'm coming back to this in First Corinthians ten and sixteen and seventeen. 1 Corinthians is a Passover book because it's got all four items of the Passover. The Lamb, which is Christ. It has that in the fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians. It's got the the bread, which is in this tenth chapter of 1 Corinthians. Let me read this to you. Tenth chapter. Tenth chapter, verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless. That was an official term for the third cup of the Passover. But this is after Christ has died. All the rituals have been nailed to the cross. The literal cup has been nailed to the cross. When Jesus says, drink this cup. Gosh, it takes me a long time to get through this. It's all one big, huge story. He says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? 
the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? What's the body? The church. How many bodies are there? One. In Ephesians, let me just tie all these as I go. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians, fourth chapter. You say, Jim, this is all so much. I know that. It takes this much to straighten out the lives of the Catholics and the Baptists and the Pentecostals and all the rest of the Protestants who've turned this into communion. You've turned it into crackers and grape juice and eating and drinking the body of Christ. Now, Ephesians 4, verse 5. Excuse me, verse 4. There's one body. There is one body. There is one body. We being many are one bread and one body. One spirit, one called, and one hope of of your calling. So there's one body. And let me just give you something else with this. The mystery of God is the church. And over in the third chapter of Ephesians, all these go together. The third chapter of Ephesians, Paul speaks of the dispensation the word dispensation means oikonomia, means economy. It doesn't mean a period of time. Oikonomia comes from oikos and nomos. It means the law of the house of God. It's the economy. Oikonomia, if you look up the word economy in a Webster's Dictionary, it'll say from the ancient Greek word oikonomia, economy. That's what it means. It means the one who takes care of the household and it says goes on to say that this dispensation was the mystery of god that was hidden through the ages and that is that the verse six that the gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body as the jews of the church there's one body one church then back over here to first corinthians ten sixteen. The cup of blessing which we bless, which was a title for the... Read Mr. Edersheim. Mr. Edersheim. To drink of a cup meant to undergo a violent death. Read his templeless ministry and services and go to the Passover chapter and look at the third cup section. I didn't make that up. And then he says, there in 1 Corinthians 10... And 17, for we being many are one bread and one body, the church. The bread is the body, the church. It's the her. It's the flesh. The flesh is the bread. The bread's the body. The body's the church. Now, let's go back over here to, you can't, you can't teach this without being detailed. You go back over here to Matthew, the 26th chapter. Matthew 26. We are in a spiritual Passover. The Passover is permanent. It is forever. Before I go any further, look at Exodus. Exodus 12. Here's the first Passover. 
The first Passover was the tenth plague upon Egypt, the death of the firstborn for those who didn't have the blood over the doorpost of their house. And for those of us who don't have the blood sprinkled upon our heart, that would be eternal death in hell forever. Now look here in Exodus 15. Uh, not Exodus 15, Exodus 12. Exodus 12. They had to take a lamb. This is the tenth plague. They had to put it over the doorpost of their houses. And it wasn't over the doorpost of the houses of the Egyptians. And all the firstborn of the Egyptians died. Of men, cattle, and everything. Now he says over here in, in Exodus, the twelfth chapter. In verse 14, This day the Passover shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, and you shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. What happened to it when Jesus died? When they wanted to do away with one contract, they would go out in the public, they would take the contracting parties and they would say, is everybody in agreement? We're going to invalidate this contract. And the two witnesses, according to Numbers 35th chapter, Deuteronomy the 17th chapter, Deuteronomy the 19th chapter, the two witnesses go out with the original contracting parties and the man who was watching over this or being the foreman of it would say, is everybody in agreement we want to invalidate this contract? They'd say yes, and they'd take a nail and drive it through the contract. That's why the Bible says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, Colossians 2.14. What was blotted out was the rituals. All the rituals of the Passover were blotted out. The law comes in the letter and the spirit. The letter killeth and the spirit gives life over there in Second Corinthians, the third chapter. The letter kills. The letter's the rituals. People, they couldn't keep the rituals. That was blotted out. Is the Passover still here? Yes, it is spiritual and it's not the Catholic Mass. And it's not the communion of the Baptist churches or the Pentecostal churches. It's a constant communion. It's the communion or the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. And when we gather together with other people, whether it's in a house or whether it's here at the church, we're fellowshipping with people that believe in predestination and believe that Christmas is pagan, and we're fellowshipping and suffering with other people in their sufferings. And everybody that's associated with grace and truth, when you tell your family about Christmas is pagan, they don't like it. You tell your friends that God doesn't love everybody, they don't like it. And you suffer for it. And then you come back together in the church and we have the fellowship of his suffering. Oh, we gather at one another's houses. Oh, we gather in a restaurant down here. And we have fellowship in his suffering. That's true koinonia. It's what it is. Now, let me read the rest of this on drinking a cup. By far the majority of passages, the cup is a cup of astonishment, a cup of trembling, the full red flaming wine cup of God's wrath and retributive 
indignation in Psalms 125, 8, Isaiah 51 and 17, Jeremiah 25 and 15, Leviticus uh, 4 and 21, Ezekiel 23 and 32, Zechariah 12 and 2, Revelation 16 and 19. There is, in fact, in the prophets no more frequent or terrific image, and it is repeated with a pathetic force in the language of our Lord's agony in Matthew twenty six thirty nine and forty two, John eighteen and eleven, Mark Mark ten and thirty eight, God is here represented as the master of a banquet, dealing the madness and stupor of a vengeance to guilty guests. The cup thus becomes an obvious symbol of death. When Jesus said this cup is the New Testament of my blood. He said, I want you to drink this to the death. But he's not talking about the grape juice of the Passover. And it was grape juice. The Passover couldn't have any leaven there. They had to get all of the leaven out of the house the morning of the Passover, take it outside and burn it. Leaven was a type of sin. It was a type of what we call yeast. And it was against their law to have that in any of their gatherings. So they couldn't have had an elixir that was a drunken elixir that had leaven in it or hops of any kind. So they weren't drinking wine like we call wine. And hence the oriental phrase, to taste death. In Matthew sixteen twenty-eight. Jesus said that some will be here that will not taste death till they see the kingdom coming in God's righteousness. And he said the kingdom is now here. It's in you in Luke, the 17th chapter 20 and 20, 21 and 22. He said the kingdom is already here. And it's talking about the some won't taste death. They won't die before they see the kingdom coming at Pentecost. And the church coming alive. Because that's the kingdom is in us. Now, let's go back over here to the 26th chapter. of you. This all is one long picture. What they've done is taken this, and the Catholics have turned this into eating human flesh, which is cannibalism. In my article on eating human flesh, it's against God's law to eat human flesh and drink blood. You couldn't do that in Leviticus, the 17th chapter, and other chapters in the Old Testament. I go back over here to... The the Baptists have changed this into communion, crackers and grape juice. Let me show you why it can't be that. Look at Luke. That look at Luke's account and Luke 22. They say the only thing that's present in these chapters is crackers and grape juice. That's what they say. And if you go to a Baptist church or a church of Christ, and they'll serve you crackers and grape juice. There's two other things that had to be here. Bitter herbs and a Passover lamb. Now, there are three things that were called the Passover. You had the lamb was called a Passover. 
You had a lamb. You had the day. You could say Passover and they'd say, which one do you mean? The day was Nisan Nisan 14. And then you had the feast, which was seven days. Feast. It was a seven-day festival. So when you're going to... Let me just read this to you in Luke 22. In verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. Oh, they had a lamb here, didn't they? They had a lamb. It wasn't the day that was killed. It wasn't the seven-day feast that was killed. It was the lamb that was killed. They had a Passover lamb here. Just because it doesn't say lamb, don't mean it wasn't here. It was. The lamb was called the Passover, and it had to be killed. Says that Mark, says it in Matthew. They had to kill the lamb. That was the first item on the list. Now, let's go. What is the Passover lamb in our spiritual Passover? What is it? you got to go to 1 Corinthians. I keep saying 1 Corinthians is a Passover chapter. It's a Passover book. 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. Now, I've already told you. I've already told you. This... The Passover is what they perverted into Christmas. The Passover is what they perverted into crackers and grape juice. We're in a daily spiritual Passover. We being many are one bread. The cup of blessing means to drink of a cup. To drink of a cup meant to undergo a violent death. When Jesus, the night before he died, he said, Father, be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. Now, people have mistaken that for Jesus wanting not to die on a cross. That's not what he was talking about. There were 6,000 men that died on the Appian Way during the famous uh, uprising of the gladiators in around 66 B.C. There were thousands of them died on crosses. Uh, what was the gladiator's name? Uh, I'm trying to think of it. Maximus? Huh? Gladiator? Maximus? No, no. The famous gladiator that died. Uh, Kirk Douglas made the movie about him. Spartacus. Uh, Spartacus, yeah. Spartacus led, the, led him in a big rebellion at around 66 B.C., and there were 6,000 died on the Appian Way, the main road going into Rome. 6,000 died. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the cross that Jesus was dreading. He was dreading upon the cross when he died. He was going to take upon himself the sins and the shame and the embarrassment of all the elect of God of all time. And that's when he cried out those words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He never called his father God before or after that. 
He was, there was something that he couldn't hardly stand. It was just unbelievable. All of your embarrassment for your sins, he took that upon himself that day. All the embarrassment of all the elect of all time. It was only for the elect, the wife, the bride, the church. And he bore that sin that day on the cross. That's why he said, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. He wasn't talking about dying. He's talking about being separated from God. Like one one doctor said, he said, God turned his back in heaven and blew out the light. Now, go back over here. Go back over here. It It's... You can't preach on what Christmas is really about without preaching about the Passover. Because that's what they twisted into Christmas and they twisted into communion. The Baptists in the Church of Christ have done the same thing the Catholics have done. They took God's spiritual Passover. Where is the Passover lamb? It's over here in Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter. We need to read down to it. And he says, Paul says, verse verse 1, chapter 5, It is reported commonly there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one of you should have his father's wife. One of the men there are sleeping with his stepmother in bed with her. And you're puffed up church at Corinth and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from you. You need to disfellowship him and tell him you're not going to have anything to do with him. For verily, I verily as absent in body but present in spirit have judged also as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you gather together, when you gather together to worship, and in my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver this man over to Satan for the destruction of his own flesh, he insists on living in sin, let him go. Tell him, we really don't want to have anything to do with you. You're going to come to church and sleep with your stepmother. We're not going to have it here. That the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This is a believer. It shows you just how sinful a believer can live. He wouldn't be saying this if the guy was a vessel of wrath fitted to destruction. The day of the Lord is the day that God comes to deal with somebody, either good or bad. It's a day he comes to bring some fire or trials on his life. If you're holding hands with this man, got your arm around him, you can't deal with him. We don't need to be holding hands with people who are walking disorderly. The Bible says so time and time again. Your glory is not good. Remember what I told you about leaven of the Passover? They had to get a lamp and hunt in the house. It, it was a little bowl with a taper on it. They'd light it and they'd hunt and look for leaven in the house. And when they found it on the day of the Passover, they'd take it outside and burn it. 
This man having an affair with his stepmother is called the leaven of the spiritual Passover. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole love? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that man that's having an affair with his stepmother, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover lamb is sacrificed for us. There's the Passover lamb there. Well then the Passover the the Passover lamb over here has been blotted out. We got a new lamb. We also got new unleavened bread. We being many are one bread and one body and leaven is a type of sin, so we have to be unleavened in our lives. Can we see that? Therefore, let us keep the feast. What feast? He just got through talking about the Passover. Let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, not with this, not with sinful people who are living in their sin. They call themselves Christians and come into church. Well, that's a long story. You have to go to them and tell them their sin. And if they'll hear, then you've gained a brother. And if they will not hear, take two or three more witnesses. And then if they will not hear then let them be as a heathen, according to the book of Matthew, the 15th chapter. Separate from them. If a, man, if a man preaches any other doctrine, lives any other doctrine, have no fellowship with those unfruitful works of darkness, but rebuke them. Not, you don't get mad at them on a permanent basis. Say, look, you're coming to church, you're not supposed to be doing that. You're drinking, you're taking drugs. You're sleeping around. You're not supposed to be doing that. You're, it's going to leaven people in the church, and it's going to look like I'm putting my approval on that, and I don't. Therefore, let us keep the feast of the Passover, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread, which is us, of sincerity, eloquenia, means clearness and truth. That's the feast. And then he says, I wrote to you in an epistle not to keep company with fornicators, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world. He says, I'm not just talking about sleeping around with women, but I'm talking about spiritual fornication, which is idolatry or with covetousness, or extortioners, or idolaters, for then must you needs go out of the world. Now I have written to you not to keep company if a man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, wanting more, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one, don't even eat with him. Don't say, I'm going to go to this guy's house on Saturday night or Friday night and have a cookout. And I know he don't believe he does Christmas and he don't believe it's pagan and he believes in free will and he thinks he can drink a little bit here and there and he can go out to a bar once in a while. You're not to be accompanying with that. The Passover is spiritual. So we found out there's a lamb over here in 1 Corinthians 5. And there is unleavened bread. We being many are one bread and one body, the church. 
And there's four cups, and the third cup was cup of blessing, and that's death to self. And the bitter herbs, that's the sop, and that's when they would dip into the sop. What happened to this? Where did they come up with communion is passing around crackers and grape juice? Where? I'll tell you where. Bitter herbs was trials and tribulation. God told Israel, if you keep going after these other gods, which is self, he said, I'm going to cause you to drink wormwood. Wormwood was a bitter herb. That was going through. In the world you shall have tribulation. You have tribulation to burn out self of wanting to go after your own sin. So we're in a spiritual Passover. There is so much to this picture. Let's go back one more time to Matthew 26. And you can verify all of this by looking at Matthew 26. What Christmas is, it's a pollution of the Passover. It's a, what communion in churches are, it's a, you cannot, God says, I change not, shana. Shana means to transmute. This is in Malachi, the third chapter. Transmute or duplicate. When they had the Passover in the Old Testament, God says, I do, do not mutate these four items of the Passover into two items that you call fellowship or communion. Fellowship. I don't mutate that, and I don't have a duplication of a Passover over here and a, and a crackers and grape juice over here. I don't do that. It's astounding to me. I'm the only person I've ever heard that's seen all of this. You know what I do to see it? I take every word and I study it as far as I can study it and as far as I can break it down. I've said this so many times. I could take a pinwheel and put it on the board. Take a pinwheel. Let me erase all this. And I can connect it to everything else. If I take the Passover and I connect it to everything that it will connect to, then I never stop studying it. And I, and I got all of these avenues that I go to. But I don't believe that you ever exhaust anything in the Bible. I'm always looking at Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. I'm always looking at that and saying, what is it I don't understand about this? And I've been teaching it all my life. What is it I don't understand? I'm teaching on Tuesday... One of the things I've discovered in the last 10 years that Genesis, the first chapter, is equated with Romans 8, 29. 
for whom he did foreknow. We also did pro-horizo, pro-horizo. Horizo is the, our word horizon, predetermined for the light. I've been talking about Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. Created is a righteous word, bara. We get the word bereft from that, which means covenant. So, and then we get the word covenant from that. That's righteous. And the earth became without form, without form. Tohu. T-O-H-U-W. Isaiah 45:18. I love this. 18. God says, I created nothing in vain. In vain is the word tohu. So what that says, when I created the heavens and the earth, I did not create what's going on in verse 2. And we're not even to the first day yet. And in the third verse, God says, let there be light. But He created the light in the first verse. And darkness was along the face of the deep in the second verse. So when he says, let there be light, he's saying the same thing he says in Romans 8 and 29. Let the light in. Let the horizon in. There had to be a cloud over the earth. And then you go into six days of making and forming. And the six days are six work days of God upon man. Six is the number of man. The very first chapter of Genesis is about predestination. It's a picture of it. I don't ever quit thinking. I don't ever think I've learned all of it. You never do. If you ever think that and you come to a brick wall, if you think baptism is dipping somebody in water, you hit a brick wall and you've got nowhere to go. If you think Passover is just eating of that literal lamb and there's no death to self, no drink in the cup, there's no partaking of Christ, there's no partaking of the body of the church, you just hit a brick wall. You have no where else to go. These Baptists got nowhere else to go with a Passover if they don't have a spiritual Passover. I've been teaching on the spiritual Sabbath. Sabbath doesn't mean doesn't mean Sabbath. It means rest. When you believe that God is doing everything, you rest in this every day. You need to look at my spiritual Sabbath and spiritual Passover. I've got it on the Internet. But spiritual Passover has been corrupted by the Mass and by the communion of the churches. And let me show you one other place this takes us to. It takes us to somewhere that's unbelievable. Branching Branching off the Passover... Go back to Matthew. Had I told you to go to... Go back to Matthew 26. We're going to branch somewhere else. We're going to go from the Passover to Testament. Testament is the word diatheke. Diatheke means last... Will and testament. Everywhere you find it in the New Testament, it means the last will and testament. That's after somebody dies, isn't it? After death. You cannot probate 
any will until the person's dead, can you? Right? Can't probate a will, take it to court and divide up the property. Eric can't come to me and say, well, I want my my inheritance. I ain't dead yet. You can't do And notice this Passover branches to that. And Jesus says in Matthew 26, this cup, death to self. Let me put it that way. This death to self is the New Testament in my blood. What in the world does that mean? Could he, could he be talking about a cup that was in his hand when you can't drink of a cup and die to self until he's dead? Is he talking about something they're drinking that night? He said this cup represents, he said is, esteem, represents, The New Testament in my blood. This cup, this death to self, represents the last will and testament of me. So you have to have a dead Christ to have a testament, don't you? He's not going to die till about 18 hours later on a cross. He's not talking about a cup they drank that night. He can't be, because the testament has no force, according to Hebrews, the ninth chapter. So we've got to put that out here, put that out here on one of these sticks, where you go to. So you got Christmas and Christmas and communion have been deterred away from by away from the Passover, which has to do with Christ dying. He's not talking about this cup is for tonight. Do y'all understand that? He's talking about drinking a cup after he's dead. They're not going to gather around the cross. He says, do everybody have their grape juice? And Peter's going to be leading them. Everybody got their grape juice? He wants to drink this cup after he's dead. That's ridiculous, isn't it? It would be ridiculous. He says over in Hebrews, the ninth chapter. So you got to tie these together. Now look here. Hebrews 9. I'll just read a couple of verses here. Hebrews 9. Verse 16, where a testament is, where a testament is, well, Jesus said this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Where a testament is, there also of necessity has to be the death of the testator. He's the testator, the mesotase, the one who is dictating the testament. So he's not talking about what he's going to do that night. He's talking about about 18 hours later from 
from the sixth to the ninth hour, the sixth hour of the daylight day was twelve noon. There's going to be darkness from the sixth to the ninth hour. That's three o'clock in the afternoon. He's going to be dying during that time. Only after that are you supposed to drink the cup, drink ye all of it permanently. Can y'all see that? For a testament is a force after men are dead. So this brings in, and gosh, there's more to this. There's a lot more to it. Otherwise, it has no strength at all while the testator liveth, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. So Jesus at night... They've taken Christmas and twisted the Passover away from itself. I believe the Passover, the spiritual Passover, is one of the most important teachings of the Bible. Because it's death to self, it's partaking of Christ, it's eating of the body, and I don't have time to go into that. The body's the church, and we have to eat of the church. I'll finish. Do I have any time, Mike? Four. Four minutes. I don't even know what to do with four minutes. I can do something with it. Back to back to the twenty sixth chapter. They took the Passover and just ripped it to shreds because they think it's literal. Gotta remember the law comes in the in the spirit and the and the letter and the letter what kills and that's the ritual and they blotted all that out and now everything that was literal now is spiritual the Passover Pentecost the day of atonement the day of atonement is the baptism atonement has the very same meaning as baptize it means to cover with a stain or die and it's all spiritual now and if you miss the spiritual You've missed it all. I've got so much more. I've got to go into the eleventh chapter of this. I got so many things to say about the eleventh chapter. I'm just the Passover's forever. Where did it come from? Where did this crackers and grape juice come from? It came out of the Agape Love Feast. They had a feast every first day of the week. That's when Jesus rose from the dead on the first day. And they had a feast where they gathered together. And that's what you find them doing in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. You are, you are not even permitted. You're not even permitted to look into the spiritual Passover if you believe in communion, taking crackers and, a, and grape juice. It, it's stupid. You're not even allowed to understand that Christmas is Christ's Mass if you're pulling away from the Passover. The Passover is what they used to corrupt Christmas. It's what they used to corrupt the spiritual Passover, death to self, daily cross, self-denial. I was going to show you how the Roman Catholics in their catechism, they even tell you they know that the Mass is from the Passover. The, the the spiritual Passover is so important to me. By celebrating the Last Supper with his apostles, it's out of a Roman Catholic catechism book. 
by selling the last supper with his apostles in the course of the Passover meal, Jesus gave the Jewish Passover its definitive meaning. Jesus passing over to his father by his death and resurrection. The new Passover is anticipated in the supper and celebrated in the Eucharist. They say that this is Roman Catholic teachings. They say the Passover was transferred over to the Eucharist that they raise up and say, what makes me want to scream? That preachers don't even know this. Go get you a catechism from a local bookstore. Go to Books a Million or Barnes and Nobles and get you a catechism. You buy one off the shelf. People say, how do you know what the Catholics believe? You can buy a catechism. And they say all through here, the Passover becomes the Eucharist. The first announcement of the Eucharist divided the disciples just as the announcement of the Passion scandalized them. The breaking of the bread, Jesus used this right as part of a Jewish meal. They knew. The Catholics know. Catholics know more truth than the Baptists know, and they don't care. They twist it anyway. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, when I get into something like this, I don't know which way to turn sometimes. There's so many, so much to this. God, help me to continue to open this book up to let people see what it's really about. It's not about what these preachers are saying. Give us strength and courage to do what you'd have us do. Fight our battles. I don't want to fight anybody ever again. You plead my cause. Plead means to fight. You fight for me, Lord. I won't fight anyone. Strengthen the church. Give people strength to continue in your work. We'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. This thing of the Christmas and the Passover is overwhelming to me. I don't know if it affects you all that way, but it's it's just a pollution of Passover is all it is.